What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vaden podcast. Today, we got Chris Green on from North Carolina. Uh, Chris is an avid hunter, entrepreneur, and we are talking about uh, managing the, the lifestyle or, or the time of having a family, running a business, wanting to hunt, making time for your wife and your kids, all that stuff. Then we're also talking about um, some bow hunting things, right? So, so some postseason stuff. Uh, some scouting things, maybe roll into some turkey hunting if we get there, but then also uh, reliving and kind of, um, what do I want to say, re-evaluate, like evaluating our season, like how we, how well we did and what we can do to better ourselves next year. I think that's a really important part of any hunters, like mental strategy is making sure that you're not, that you're not forgetting what happened last year. And obviously we all, we all do that. We all don't forget, but literally taking the time to actually like sit down and analyze it is something a lot of us don't do. And people, people tend to only analyze the good or, or only analyze the bad. And, and the most important ones that I find are the times where you don't see shit and what, and the, and the reason why, like, why did I choose to sit here and why did I not see a damn thing? So we're going to talk about that as well. And with that, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, man. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, just hang out and talk for a little bit. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, my name's Chris Green. Um, I'm from Central North Carolina. Um, mostly hunting public land down here, mixing in a little bit of private here and there. But uh, public has kind of been, that, that's where I started out down here. Um was kind of introduced to hunting down in Mississippi or Mississippi from ex, some extended family. Um, but once I got back up to North Carolina, it was kind of on my own. So <laughs> I had to figure it out. Uh, a lot of YouTubing, a lot of reading and just kind of putting in the time, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. No, it's, yeah, it's, uh, that's hard. It's so it's something that I went through as well, which is brand new area, brand new ground, no one to help yep. you out. How do you get going on it? And that's, that's yeah. something a lot of people face, right? Especially new hunters that don't have like hunting mentors or even friends that have like, that have other friends who hunt, but just won't tell them shit. Yeah. <laughs> right. For sure. Like uh, it, it happens. Um, I know I have some friends like that who hunt properties and they just won't tell me nothing, which is cool. Like that's their choice. That's what they want to do. That's fine. I'll figure it out on my own. If I stumble across it, you can't be mad that I'm stumbling into your areas at that point, because (laughs) you didn't tell me, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Right. So, okay. So what was that like in that, in that initial process? So how you're 24, you said, yep. When did, when did you move up to North Carolina? So I guess to clarify that a little bit. So I actually, we have lived in North Carolina since I was like three, Um, just going down like once a year to Mississippi to, um, to hunt with family for about a week, generally around Christmas. Gotcha. Um, so it was kind of the typical, just like, you know, get there, they throw you in a, in a ladder stand and just what comes by comes by. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of what it was. Um, so, but I was around, I think I was 17. Okay. Um, when I finally, um, back up in North Carolina, I was just like, well, I want to take advantage of some of the lands we got around here. Like I want yeah. to do something. Um, ironically though, like, the hunters I was surrounded by were all very anti-public land. It was kind of that, that stereotypical mentality of like, well, there's no big deer on public land. 
there's too much pressure on public land. You're wasting time on public land. So it was, it was a lot of that getting thrown in my head, but I was just curious, I guess. <laughs> I didn't have private land. So I was like, well, that's what I got at the time. I lived like literally half a mile down the road from a piece of public. So I was like, well, let's go walk around for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a struggle though. Those, those first couple years. Um, honestly, I don't think I saw a single deer for the first two years. Um, which I, I won't go down the rabbit trail of my frustrations with all that, but ultimately it's just, I, I got my hunting tactics from TV shows like that. That is what I knew about hunting and yeah. Mississippi. Sit food, <clears throat> sit food plots and field edges, right? Exactly. And so that's what I did. I walked in a hundred yards, sat over a cornfield or a dove field and uh, yeah, saw nothing. <laughs> so it wasn't until, uh, wasn't until my third season. I was just so fed up. I think I actually started at kind of the tail end of the second season, but uh, I, I vividly remember the third year just being so fed up with not seeing anything. I was like, I'm going to walk every bit of this public land until I find a deer. <laughs> like, yeah. like I left the stand at home. I hunted like exclusively from the ground and just walked um, and just started bumping deer. And I realized that when I bumped those deer the next day, if I came back and walked through that same area, the deer were there again. So I kind of just started doing that like, without even knowing what the bump and dump was at that time. And it was all on, on does at that time and not, but it was like, I'd bump a group of does, come back the next day, sit on the ground and here they come. So right. started picking on that or picking up on that and just doing more mobile stuff. Um, and then started working the, the lock on back into my arsenal, I guess, after a bunch of people pushed me back into it and like, well, you need to get up in a tree. <laughs> but I like moving around. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This seems cumbersome at that point. Yeah. So yeah. really, really have taken a, taken to the, uh, the mobile hunting mentality. Um, right. got guys in my area I, I hunt with, um, or at least we kind of just bounce ideas off and sometimes hunt together, um, that are really also into the mobile or mobile hunting game. So, um, just been getting better and better each year. Um, had two years after or one year after that filled all my tags and then, started having kids um, <laughs> that made just spending time walking around for hours on end a little more difficult. Um, yeah. So trying to refine the skills a little bit more and um, yeah, being more tactical with my time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that uh, I'm, I'm in this very similar boat um, as, as you are, except I'm, I'm 31, not 24. So got a few <laughs> extra years of, of wandering around. Um, under my belt, but at the same time, you know, that process is, is very similar. And one of the things I like to point out, um, a lot of my, a lot of our listeners come out of the Midwest. We, we have hunting clubs here, but they're not nearly as prominent as they are down South. So, um, there are, so do you want to explain that real quick? Like uh, just a minute about like how the hunting clubs work and those big leases and everything. Yeah, so I, I don't have too terribly much experience with them. Um, okay. I am technically part of a hunting club this past year. Um, I got, I, I have a boss that is, well, had a boss, I guess, that um, was just super generous and really wanted me to get involved in a club and whatnot and was really pushing that. And I kept telling him, I was like, I really just, I, I don't want to throw $600 at a club. And he's like, well, I tell you what, I'll just buy you in this year. I was like, <laughs> 
okay. <laughs> so that is my very limited knowledge about clubs. I do okay. know it is from just from, you know, kind of word of mouth with other guys. It is very difficult to find a club that's accepting new members just because it's kind of overwhelmed with people wanting to be in clubs. Yeah. Um, so you run, you run into either they're not accepting people or, um, it's just going to be outrageously expensive. I mean, kind of one right. or two. And, and again, that's just my very limited experience with them. Um, yeah. Okay. So, and, and how, like for everybody listening out of the Midwest that doesn't know these hunting clubs, um, it's essentially a giant lease, you know, a thousand acres, 1500, 4,000, 8,000, 12,000 acres. And then instead of like having the lease go to like a group of guys, which is usually how it works in Wisconsin, like a bunch of people get together and they then like buy into that, you know, let's just say it's 4,000 acres and you have 40 guys or not 40, like in Wisconsin, it'd be like 10 guys all thrown in and they all get 400 acres to it or something like that. And, um, and it's, it'd, it'd be pretty expensive, you know, it'd be a probably four five, $6,000 per person at least. Um, but that's like a group and then they have that, that acreage and it's, there's no like club or anything in the South. Someone will get that whole lease, like 12,000 acres. And then they'll be like, okay, everybody, I'm accepting 40 people to hunt this. And the fee is, you know, a thousand bucks a person. And then that like forms a club. And then within that club, you can, everybody has to come in, do some work days, uh, set up tree stands, do all that fun stuff. And then you got to like check in, check out when you go there and you, you hunt the property. You, you probably don't know if you're one of the 40, you probably don't know the other 39. Some people do, some people don't, but like, like Chris was saying, you can buy in, um, for, for, for his club was 600 bucks. And then all of a sudden you're in with who knows how many other people, how they're hunting, where they're hunting, but that's a very, uh, a typical pro like, uh, hunting option in, in the Southern States. that just really doesn't exist. It, it, it does exist in Wisconsin. I have a friend who's part of a club like that, but it's really not the the same and it's not nearly as prominent. So and I'll say I, one other thing, just to add to that, that I know our, our club does. And then I know of one other club that does a similar thing instead of just like, you know, those 40 guys buy in and you just have access to all the land. Um, they'll actually split it up into parcels. So it'll be this massive lease, but you get 30 acres or 50 acres, or 60 acres and kind of like they, they split it up like that. And so right. it's weird because you have this massive lease that like you, you can, you drive through and all that stuff to get to your spot. But then at the end of the day, you're really hunting like a 20, 30, 40 acre block. Um, right. So especially for myself coming from public land, it's just, I mean, it's, very different you're very locked into an area yeah there is really no just wandering exploring it's like that's what you got either that spot's good that year or it's not good that year <laughs> right or you get it like a shit 40 and you're like yeah. man this like you know and the guy who's been there for 45 years he's like worked his way up to the 40 that he wants there's definitely some of that for sure. right yeah exactly yeah. so at that point it's like dude you you're you got some you got almost got better odds on public than you do in that it, like if you're bottom of the pole there. Yeah. I mean, and that's definitely my thought process. I know I yeah. not many of the guys I'm around share that same thought process, but that's, that's definitely the way I see and it. And that's, yeah. And that's like, uh, you know, I could easily see why people like that are, are 
who who have it good on a in a club and have had success in a club are like, dude, don't go to public, like yeah, club. Um, it's only six hundred bucks. It's not a big deal. Yada yada yada. Well, public's free and it's yeah, four thousand <laughs> acres and it's four thousand acres, not forty. Like you know, yeah, yeah. or whatever it is. All right. So, so you started started having kids, and now it's. Uh, I, I find that like time restraints make you really like refine your 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 skills and uh you you become very selective about how and when you hunt because yeah. you don't get you don't get as much opportunity right like so there was one yeah. season i sat i think it was like 56 or 57 times i had 56 or 57 sits in one season um and now the most that since I've had kids, the most I've made it to is like 31. And that was, that was a lot. Um, yeah. so like with, with, with limited time, um, you have to be a lot more strategic with, with your hunts, right. When you're going to go, how you're going to go. And I, at least that's how it works for me. Does that, is it, does it work the same way for you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's kind of been a lot of the learning curve for me the past couple of years is just that. I mean, um, whereas it used to be, I could just kind of just spend time and know the areas I'm hunting, like the back of my hand and know the way the deer are moving in there, just using sign and whatnot, knowing bedding areas, knowing where they're feeding. If they transition to a new feeding area, a new food source, I pick up on that pretty quick. Um, but you know, kind of like you're saying, if, if it's very select times, you don't really get to know all that. So it, it kind of dials you back to just kind of putting your putting yourself in the deer's shoes and thinking about conditions and going okay with what's going on whether it's weather wise or wind direction or whatever what's most likely going to be happening right now and what can i be doing to get myself in the game the fastest with the limited amount of time that i have um yeah so there's definitely been a huge learning curve there for me the past couple of years and just trying to dial that in um but yeah i would i would agree that the tactics definitely come <laughs> more into play than just being out there boots on the ground and just knowing your properties. Um, cause that obviously that time is just not, it's not as affordable for lack of better words anymore. Right. It used to be. Yeah. I think the, I think the few, the few things that I always like think about is, you know, once, once season starts in Wisconsin, it's like mid September, you have like two to three weeks until you know early october where there's like a, a major shift that happens in deer pattern food pattern food movement like that's when that's when all those they're you know they've been feeding on soybeans until you know mid to mid to late september then all of a sudden those are yellow and now that changes yep. the food source that changes the pattern and now they're switching to something else right it could change the bedding area too um and so now that that changes and then okay well in two weeks you know, from October 1st to October 15th, that's a new pattern. And then October 15th to uh, October 31st, you're on a new like pre-rut pattern, right? Where yeah. it's like, okay, well, I'm not just bed to food anymore. I'm bed to scrape to food or I'm bed to, to rubs or I'm bed to dough bedding area, two scrapes, two food. And now we're on this totally different, you know, block of time. And then you get into the rut, you know, November 1st to the 15th, where it's just kind of a whole lot of chaos and you're hunting pinch points and funnels. And, and then you have gun season, then you go into late season and you have muzzle loader. And it's these like two week chunks, two to three week chunks throughout the entire year where things are shifting all the time. Right. Yep. 
Um, and that's like, that was when I was hunting a lot, just as you said, it was, it was much easier to pick up on those shifts and what, what was going on. Um, then if you, you know, like when I was, when I was hunting a lot, I was hunting, you know, probably four evenings a week, like Tuesday and Wednesday night, plus, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then maybe I'd hunt on a Saturday. Like I was able to sneak out of work at three, three, between three and four o'clock get out in the woods, hunt that evening with no one else on the public ground. And now I'm shifting my entire strategy to like, how can I get around public guys or how can I hunt to sneak down to my private land on a Saturday and a Sunday, right? It's just, yeah. it's a different, it's a different window of time. It's a different, you have to think about all these different things. Um, what do you do? I know, I know what I do, but how do you like prep your wife for these? For, for like how do you how do you go about that because i know there's people who are like oh my wife would never go for that or my wife this or or i could never <laughs> figure it out you know and i and i feel like for in my in my life it's all about communication and planning um but at the same time i want to hear how how you how you go about that and then i'll, I'll tell how i go about it yeah uh, well, first, I got to be careful because my wife's like right here. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, so I, I just say I, I was very blessed that my like outdoor obsession and and the time I met my wife kind of almost coincided like exactly. Um, so she, when we were dating and, and younger, you know, she very early on witnessed just how much I was in the woods. Um, and her dad hunted and whatnot and didn't really involve her and her siblings too much, but she at least knew, like, it wasn't foreign to her that, like, you know, he would leave for, like, a week to go hunt in Idaho or something like that. Um, so it wasn't really foreign to her anyway, um, but she did kind of see throughout our whole dating period, like, you know, how much it meant to me, the challenge that I put on myself to pursue these white tails and stuff like that. Um, so when we got married, it, it wasn't really different to her and she she has always been very encouraging um you know you work hard all week you know you, you should get out and go you know do that so but the double whammy there is and I always kind of laugh and joke about it, the double whammy there is though she is very gracious about that kind of stuff and wants me to get out there and so what I have to I feel like I have to be careful of not taking advantage of that either um yeah because I am blessed that she won't necessarily tell me when she wants me to stay home but that's also the curse of she won't tell me when she wants me to stay home so it is it's it fine. is fine is that the, yeah is that the, the it's fine that's always the killer for me i'm like ah oh, shit now yeah, what do i do not fine <laughs> so, yeah. yes i mean that that's kind of the thing she, she's very she's okay. very good to me and, and wants me to go hunt and whatnot so it, it's more the pressure i'm putting on myself to make sure i'm reading that scenario correctly um sure but just making sure that I am here for the important moments is kind of my big thing. Um, yeah. You know, birthday parties and stuff like that. I, I want to make sure that, you know, I am here for those moments. I'm not missing, mm -hmm. you know, the, the important stuff to them. And then, you know, when it is just a chill at home day, then, you know, I'm good to go. I just got to make sure everything right. is, you know, make sure I got my, my T's crossed and all that stuff before I get out of the house kind of thing. So. Yeah. I, I remember so I had, so I've listened to, um, some Dan Infault hunting beast podcast. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, or I don't know if he has his own podcast, but I've listened to him on other podcasts. And one of his big regrets is that he was so obsessed with hunting that he was skipping birthdays. He was skipping some holidays, yeah. skipping some big events. And he's like, you know, if I could go back, that's, that's what I would fix. 
And then I've had, I've had people message me. Um, one guy that I remember very specifically was like, my buddy scheduled his wedding on November 6th. And I told him like, sorry, dude, like, I'm not going to be there. And, uh, and now he's all pissed at me. And I was like, well, and my response to him was November 6th happens every year. It hap- it'll happen for the next 40 years of your, of your life. I would really hope that your buddy only does this once. So it's, you know, yeah. on, honestly, if I were you, like it sucks and I hate the dude, maybe I, I don't give him, you know, 50 bucks, maybe I only give him 20 bucks as a wedding gift, but um, <laughs> I'm going to be there and, and I'll, I'll begrudgingly be there, but I'm yeah. going to haunt the morning. You damn right. Yeah. I'm in the morning. Right. So like, yeah. that's one of those. That's one of those scenarios. And, and he wanted the, the guy who messaged me is just like, no, I'm, I'm like obsessed that buck could come through that day. Like that's, that's what I'm after. And dude, the, the antlers aren't on the wall, aren't gonna, are, aren't gonna be more than that, than the, the memories that you make with your friend and the friendship that comes along with that. And, yeah. and hopefully it's a lifelong friendship right? It's, it's somebody that you're going to depend on in the future that you're going to call that you're going to hang out with and all that jazz. And to, to miss a wedding for that, you know, especially if it's like a, a legit wedding, it's not some girl you just, you know, met a month ago or whatever. Like, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I feel like that's, that's a little bit too obsessive. Yeah. <laughs> Another kind of my, my mindset on it. And, and don't get me wrong. Like, I know everybody's like, oh, I'm so obsessed. And like, you know, it's, it's a competition almost of who's more obsessed. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, man. I love being in the woods. I love chasing these deer. I love those encounters, but there's always another year for another deer. Mm-hmm. It might not be the same 160 you got on trail camera or something, but you know, your yeah. kid only turns two once or your friend, like you said, hopefully only gets married once. <laughs> Um, yep. you know, just like that, that, those moments are things that can make or break relationships. And, and I hope that my kids one day will come hunting with me, but if, if they resent me be- because I missed, you know, their kindergarten graduation or, or some random thing, yeah, like that, yeah. they resent me or resent hunting because of the priority I put on it. Well then hunting will, I'll never get to experience hunting with my kids happily. I'll never get to experience, you know, my wife coming out hunting or fishing with me because they resent that. I love those things so much. Right. Um, That's a great point. So, yeah. So, but I mean, don't be wrong. I've, I've definitely missed out on some things to go chase some deer, but <laughs> right. <laughs> gotta, uh, gotta definitely select those wisely. <laughs> yeah. So, so my wife, uh, she grew up in like a hunting town. A lot of people hunted, um, especially in her, in her high school grade. Um, but her, her family did not hunt really at all. So, when we first started dating, um, it wasn't like totally new to her, but it was also like the, the amount was new to her. Cause she hadn't dated like a hunter before. So mm-hmm. like, she was like, Oh yeah, you're going hunting. And then, Oh, cool. Go hunting. And then cool. Go hunting. Oh, you're going hunting again. Oh, and again, <laughs> Oh, and again, like it just like, and it was like, Holy cow. Like, yeah, he's, he's hunting a lot. Um, but, uh, but the thing, so like, you know, before kids, before marriage and all that jazz, like it was just like, and, and even after we were married, it was as long as there was nothing going on on the calendar, like go get them tiger, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, but 
then once especially once we had kids or we were, we were planning like date nights or, or fun nights out together with with friends or whatever it became um uh, a much more much more planned process which is something i'm not good at like I, I fly by the seat of my pants like i have i don't usually have an idea what i'm doing next week until sunday night and i look at my calendar and I'm like, okay what am i up to um so that actually like yeah right that's i feel like that's most men <laughs> um, that's probably so so uh so the thing that i started doing that that's really helped me out is like we like we talk and 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 i do a um like let's just say a a friday night a friday evening rolls around and it's it's early season and it's 65 it's been 65 for the last three or four days like there's no weather change in, in coming up there's i haven't gotten a lot on trail camera and 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 it's open and i can go hunting now like i I can make that hunt work i will actually pass that up and be like hey hon she's gonna be like aren't you gonna go hunting like you know it's friday it's you know you you have the time the kids i can take the kids yada 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 and i'll say no it's not it's not a great day to hunt and i will keep my eye on the forecast and when I'm looking 10 days out, you know, on everything at that, like in 10 days out, the weather can change. Once it hits seven days out, like a week out, I will like essentially put it on the calendar or talk to her and say, Hey, hon, like, it's a great weather day. I would really like to hunt on Thursday night. I know that's a, a work night, whatnot, yada, yada, yada. But like, I'm not going to hunt this weekend. I'm just hunting this day because of this weather condition. And usually like that negotiation works because then she gets a weekend out of it where I'm watching the kids or I'm hanging out at home rather than just gone the whole time. And, and I get to hunt that cold front that I've been looking for. So like, that's, that's been my strategy is keeping an eye on the weather um, and asking as, as soon as I can to just like prepper and and we talk about it it's it's an evolving relationship all the time and i don't mean like prepper for me leaving or anything but like (laughs) (laughs) i just like to keep that open dialogue and that way the the more upfront and and honest i can be i appreciate the upfront and honest honesty she gives back to me and that's how that's how our relationship works um i know some guys like seriously there is this dude in my group uh, of friends he literally took off work and hunted for a whole week and never told his wife went and dropped his kids off at daycare and then went hunting and then came home at like 4 30 or whatever and we're just like dude what are you gonna do if you shoot one he and he was like i don't know haven't, haven't figured it out yet i'm like like why don't you just tell your wife that you're hunting like the whole week he's like ah it's too much of a hassle she'll give me too much shit eh. I'm, I'm, I'm over it, you know? And I'm just like, man, that is, that does not sound like a great relationship to me, but if it works, (laughs) right. Yeah. If it works for you, whatever, dude, like I, I I can't judge you at all. Like, I don't know your life. So, but I thought that was just wild that he was hunting a whole week without telling his wife. Uh, like, I mean, he was literally like, he would get take his hunting clothes like on and off, and he would literally dress in like khakis and a button up and shit. <laughs> off and then go hunt, go sit in the stand. I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, uh, but um, but yeah, that's how that's how I work it out. 
with, with my wife. And then I do plan um, as well. I will plan like certain uh, like chunks of time. So um, I would just say like, Hey, the last week of October and the second week of November, I'm probably taking like three to four days off of work that week based on weather. If, and my, my work is extremely flexible with, with our time off. Um, kind of, um, I'm in sales and, and if, and if we get our shit done, they don't necessarily care like what we do so much, but at the same time, like if I don't want to answer emails today, I have to take time off. So that's like, that's my boundary for, for them. So like if, if I take off the last week of October, um, and I take all five days off and then, you know, only two or three days are, are good weather days, or we get rain all day or something like that. Like I can just be like, Hey hon, I'm staying home today. What do you need done around the house? I can vacuum. I can clean. Um, I have, I've taken the day off. Like, you know, I'll put in time at home so that the next three days, like you can't be upset that I'm not here type of thing. Right. Sure. <laughs> so that's how, that's how I, I work that. Um, and I feel like you set the expectation as I'm gone all five days, then you give it back for a day or two. They're like, Oh, that's nice. You know, and then builds a, builds a little, uh, negotiation, negotiating power in there. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the, the other thing I'm, I'm kind of hoping this year, especially, um, so I, my, my previous job, I, um, my schedule really was not that flexible. It was very standard nine to five. Um, okay. we didn't have a lot of vacation, but I was kind of able to split up my vacation and, and take even some like unpaid days for different hunting of you know, hunting trips or whatever throughout the year. Um, but, uh, kind of because of that, and I know it's, it's much more in depth reasoning than, than just this. And I'll preface (laughs) that preface this next statement with that, but, um, kind of making a career shift. Um, so I can very intentionally control my own schedule, um, to do not only just spend more time with my family, but also to very intentionally be able to plan hunts and plan things around hunts and family yeah. time and whatnot. Um, and hopefully this year even involve my family more in hunting. Um, so yeah, let's even just in the off season, off season stuff, off season time is a great time to just involve family and stuff, whether it's just hiking or shed hunting or small game hunting or whatever. Um, even my two-year-old, we took her out on her first squirrel hunt. If you want to call it a squirrel nice. hunt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just kind of walked around the woods, you know, unloaded shotgun. She had her little wooden shotgun and just kind of just starting that just like, Hey, we're in the woods. This is what we're doing. Quality time. If we kill something awesome. Yeah. But just having those designated days just for that. So then when it is kind of like you said, like, you know, when it is time for like, I want to actually pursue, you know, this buck or, or whether it's just the ideal book, whether it's a target or not. Um, you kind of have those days to do that. And it doesn't feel like you're just gone all the time. You, you did yeah. involve in the scouting and whatnot as well. So that's, that's a great trying to implement more this year. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And, and getting them out in the woods where it doesn't matter how loud they are or where their scent is or where you guys go and, or how long you go for and how far you go. It is a great yeah. time to get out. Cause I know like when I want to scout by myself, like, scouting uh, a day you know i've taken the last like not last year but the four or five years prior to that like on my birthday i take the day off and i go scout for the entire day like that's what i ask my wife for i'm like i just i don't want to i'm gonna leave 
right away at 6 a.m. I'm not going to come back until like 7 or 8 p.m. And I'm going to go scout, take photos, run around with the dog. Like that's going to be my day out in the woods. And that's something that I would that I would never take my kids on. But there's other days where I go like, hey, hon, you want to go for a walk in the woods? And we'll just go walk. Like it, it pains me to not like go off trail and go wander <laughs> down into some bedding area. But at the yeah. same time, like go with the family, take them out, have them walk. Cause the springtime is great for a lot of reasons. Um, the biggest ones being the vegetation's pretty, pretty minimal. So you can see a lot, you get to, you get to experience a lot. Um, it's, it's a lot easier walking cause the, again, the vegetation is very minimal and there's very minimal bugs. Yeah. So, like, bugs are, bugs are the worst when yeah. it comes to exactly so there's there's very minimal bugs and and you can usually get like good temperatures so it's not like scorching hot you know 90 100 degrees and it's not super cold like 20 or 30 degrees like you can usually find that 60 degree day that's nice and sunny and you guys can just go for a a beautiful walk for you know maybe you guys go half a mile but the kids loved it they had such a great time they saw some butterflies they saw some caterpillars they saw a squirrel maybe we jumped a deer and it's a great memory for them and it makes them think that that being in the woods and being outdoors is fun right yep. that's Absolutely. that's that's the objective of those and 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 you get to build that family time with them as well um one of the other things that you mentioned is is like the standard nine to five, like kind of strict PTO on, on or unpaid time off. Um, one of the things that I did, so my boss has never uh, worked with like a hunter before. So he never like when I started asking him about taking time off, he was like, yeah, just submit it whenever. And I was like, well, can I submit it the day before? And he's like, well, why would you do that? Like, don't you know you're going on vacation like more than a day before? And I'm like, well, not always. And here's why. <laughs> and he was like, so like I, I, we had like a 20, 30 minute conversation on this. And, uh, and I explained to him how like cold fronts work and how deer movement works. And he's not opposed <laughs> to hunting by any means. Like I had to feel that one out first. But yeah. then once I like had that conversation with him, he was like, okay, well, yeah. I mean, I guess like you're supposed to submit like 30 days in advance but like, if you submit to me, like, you know, seven days in advance or five days in advance, and like, you're not bailing on any of your important meetings or anything like, yeah, I, I I'm, I'll approve that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's one of those conversations that, that hopefully like you can build a rapport with your boss and, and build that uh, relationship status and confidence, then that's again, like very similar thing to, to working with your wife is essentially, you know, go over and above, above for your boss to, to pick up an extra shift that they really need help at, or, you know, do something that no one else wants to do. Like I just, I picked up a webinar, like I'm not a fan of webinars, but my boss was like, I really need someone to pick up a, a webinar and run this webinar. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. But I know that that's going to pay dividends for me down the road when I'm like, yeah. dude, I really want to take the day off tomorrow. Like, please like hook me up here. And he'll be like, all right, fine. That's, that's cool. So, so yeah. going above and beyond for your boss and hopefully that comes back to you in October and November. <laughs> yeah right um, yeah no, for sure <laughs> all right so that's that's another i guess i wanted to say that because that's another strategy that i personally have for um for for working with with that team and i did that at my other job too was 
Uh, and thankfully, like not my direct boss, but my like essentially like my boss's coworker was a hunter. Yeah. So when I introduced the conversation, I made sure he was there. And so <laughs> like the, the, so my boss's coworker, his peer was like, oh yeah, dude, that makes total sense. Like I'm, I like this dude, you know, <laughs> so it, it always helps when there's somebody else that understands. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Especially if they're like a peer of the boss or even the boss's boss. Like yeah. if you can find that person and, and have that conversation in front of them, that will certainly help too in, in allowing that, that flexibility that we all want during hunting season, you know, yeah. um, that's just, yeah. And, and making deals, like how, you know, one of the best questions that I have ever asked is how do I, how do I get like flexible time off in October and November? Like if I work the rest of the year without taking days off or, or only very minimally scheduled PTO, can I have, you know, flexible days off at the end of the year in October and November? Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking to get. How do I get there? And you tell me that, and I will make sure it happens. And if it's picking up extra shifts the week before I take that time or, or I have to, you know, do whatever, whatever, like I got to clean the bathrooms. Sure. Sign me up like for that flexible time off. I'm in, um, yeah. depending on where you work, I might not be in, but, <laughs> um, yeah. right. So, um, so before I, I started that, that long run there, what you, you said that you're starting a new job, you're starting an entrepreneur, um, not, you're not starting an entrepreneur, but you're starting a new business and you're trying to create all that flexibility for yourself. So let's, let's hear about that. Let's, I purposely have not talked to you about it because I want to hear it right now. Yeah. So, um, I think you followed my, you have followed my Instagram for a little while now. Um, trail red, um, pretty much that started years ago when I just wanted to, um, kind of document just the things I was doing on public land. Like I said, I, I didn't talk to a lot of guys when I originally started hunting that also hunted public land that um, were really hunting my area. Um, it wasn't until a few years in that I actually started to meet guys that were doing the same thing. So I originally started as kind of just like a little vlog, I guess, a um, little bit of video stuff and a little bit of just posting. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of led me into a love for filming and photography and stuff like that. Uh, my wife has done photography for years. Um, and so kind of after years of building relationships, not really even intentionally, but just building relationships kind of around that. Um, and within that, um, we're now taking a jump to where we'll both be doing um, photo video media content. Um, you and your wife? Me and my wife, but okay. we'll be doing it together, but as two separate businesses. So she'll be more on a local scale um, doing you know, your typical like wedding engagement, uh, maternity shoot, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Sure. Um, well, I'll be pursuing specifically the outdoor industry. Um, kind of my two main targets are um, outfitters, both locally and, you know, wherever, um, shooting content for them, marketing content, both photo and video, as well as um, hopefully reaching out into, you know, product manufacturers in the hunting industry and stuff like that. And just doing um, photo, video content, filming hunts, um, even filming hunts for private parties. If somebody just wants to, um, you know, document uh, a memorable hunt or if they're going to an outfitter that they you know, have a high success rate and they want to film it and stuff like that, giving them the opportunity to actually bring somebody in 
to film their hunts um, that knows what they're doing in the outdoors, not just random Joe Schmo who is going to be fumbling around in the woods and doesn't know the equipment and stuff like that. So um, kind of the idea was twofold. One, to be doing something alongside my wife. That that time is very hard between, uh, you know, working a nine to five and, you know, having a passion for the outdoors just to make sure that I'm, you know, like constantly maintaining my relationship with my wife and getting to spend the time I want to with her. So working alongside her will definitely make that easier. (laughs) Maybe, maybe more than we would like sometimes, but I will take that over not enough. So, (laughs) um, so there'll be that aspect as well as getting to actually work in an industry that I, you know, am passionate about because I, I do geek out on gear and whatnot anyway. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that, that's just, it's cool to be able to highlight the stuff that I am passionate about, not just a random product during a week that I really don't like. It's much harder to sell something or, or talk about something day in and day out that I'm just really not stoked on. So right. that's, that's kind of the, uh, it's kind of the, the way we're going. So my business will be trail red. I'm just taking that same name I've had on Instagram for years and um, folding that over into it. So um, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, cool. Already been shooting some, or I guess, working up gigs and doing some shoots for a couple outfitters and whatnot, and just kind of starting from the bottom, making our way up. So awesome. So as of what did, last week, we're, we're completely full-time now. So. All right. As of last week, as of last week, literally quit right. my full-time job last week. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So what did you do? what did you do before? Like what I was you- a, Oh, I worked in an RV dealership. Um, okay. So motorhomes, trailers, truck campers, stuff like that. Um, we even got in boats a little bit. Um, kind of was all over the dealership. Um, <laughs> did some technician work, did some service riding work, um, stuff like that. So um, not a bad gig, paid the bills. Um, just wasn't something I was super passionate about. Yeah. So um, okay. finally just made the decision, want to do something else. So yeah. So then... Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I, I love it. It's something that I've thought about doing a lot. Um, and my, my new, the new job that I'm at is just, it's, it's too good. Like everything's going really, really well. I I really enjoy like, like last week I, my kids were home from, from daycare because our daycare lady, uh, broke her arm. Very like unfortunate scenario, very tough but my kids were home and I work from home. And so I was able to just pick like, okay, that's, that's fine. Like I can pick them up, but I was only able to get in like four hours of work a day. And I'd be working in the evenings from like seven to yeah. nine, seven to 10 to try to like finish up my emails and get things done that I needed to get done. And I was not unhappy about it. And that's yeah. like, I, I really enjoy the work that I'm doing now. So like, it's just too good of a scenario to, to, to pass up and and maybe I, I've thought, you know, maybe I'll run this course for, for the next five, 10 years. And at that point I'll be, you know, anywhere from 36 to 40 years old. And I still have a lot of time to, to jump into the outdoors at that point. Right. Yeah. So one of the, one of the big things that, that people, a lot of people want to make that jump, right. I want to work in the hunting industry. I want to hunt for a living. I want to figure that out. Um, what <clears throat> you don't have to, uh, disclose like your your financials by any means but did you guys have like um like because that's the hardest part that people have right how do i quit uh a paycheck every week to maybe 
maybe not have a paycheck next week. Yeah. Right? How do I, how do I make that jump? So what was that like? What was that thought process? What was that decision-making process in your mind? How did that? So kind of, kind of twofold. Um, part of it is, is I am, I guess I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a situation where I, I still do have, um, you know, income through some clients that I started working with months ago, um, doing okay. like social media work and stuff for some, sure. some companies. Um, so that is still something that we, you know, have coming in. Um, but it's kind of one of those things. It's never, it never feels like enough, <laughs> sure. whether yeah, it's, yeah. you know, affording a kid, affording a house, affording a car, affording just living, like you never feel like you're making enough. So it, it's one of those things. It's, it's scary no matter how you look at it. Um, but it's kind of one of those things for me personally, it's, I, I kind of looked at it like investing. It's like, I'm 24. Yeah. If I'm going to take a risk and mess it up, now's the time to do it because I got time to recover. Kind of. Um, so we we were just coming to a point where I definitely knew where I was at, needed to come to an end soon. Um, me and my boss, and, and I don't mean this in a negative light. Me and my boss had just come to a point where we were having a lot of discussions about my employment there, and um, I I'm friends with him, so like. I was very open to him about, you know, this isn't what I want to do. He always knew that I was moving on. Um, so there's just a lot of discussion there and it kind of just came to a point. It was like, look, either your heart's in this or your heart's somewhere else. So yeah. if you, if you feel like you need to pursue that stuff, go do it. Yeah. And he kind of like as a boss, but also I think as a friend kind of was just like, I need to know by this date, what are you doing? Right. And so, yeah. So I think it was, kind of just that kicking the crutch out of the way and just going kind of going for it man really i mean yeah. it's 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 one of those things i feel super super stoked about it super relieved to be out of something that i didn't love doing and into something yeah. that i really i mean like you said working early working late i love doing it yeah, I and mean, i'm passionate right. about it um so it doesn't it's not as hard to to jump in it with both feet and just go um so scary as mess, but also just exciting. And it kind of levels yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's fair. Um, so, I mean, to make that jump, like you already had some clients in your back pocket that you, so you knew you get some income and is that, is that enough to live on? Or are you like, no, like we have some savings built up. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah, so everyone wanted to say, do you want to make sure you've got savings of some sort? Like, you okay. know, we're not going on broke, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, it, it just never, I mean, no matter how much you've got in savings, it, it can, we all know it can go like that, especially when your hobbies are expensive outdoors and filming. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. If, if, for anybody who thinks outdoor equipment is expensive, look up camera prices. No, <laughs> I want a new lens. Oh, there it goes 1500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So right. I um, dropped my camera in the water. Well, there goes another four grand. See ya. Yes. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, it is, man. It's, it's a leap of faith. Um, there's really no other way to put it. It could, okay. it could tank or it could go great. It's just, yeah. I think just come to a point where you decide to do it or you don't. Yep. Yeah. So for me, when I was really heavily considering that at my last job, um, what I wanted, and my wife is extremely risk adverse. Um, she is not, she's like, wait, you're not going to get a paycheck from somebody? No, like that's not. <laughs> I said, how much money do I have to have in the bank for you 
to say, okay, it's fine for you to make, for me to quit my job and start doing, you know, deer vein full time. She goes a million bucks. I was like, come on, be fucking reasonable. <laughs> you know, like that's how risk adverse she is. Um, yeah. So, so I was, so in my mind, it was anywhere from 30 to 40 grand was like what I was targeting because <laughs> with that, um, like I could certainly work for a year without like the house payments about a, a 1200 bucks. Um, like my, my monthly payments are about $1,500 in total with house and, and what I owe out, out of our relationship. Um, yeah. so, so I was like, okay, 1500 times 12, that would get me uh, 18 grand. So then I have 12 grand left over for gear and gas and travel. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to make money during the year. So hopefully I make another, like if we're talking 30 grand, like I'm, hopefully I'm going to make another 15, 25 grand somewhere in that range in the first year. Then from there, what we'll, we'll build up and next year I'll make 35 and the following year I'll make 45 and then, you know, 50, 60, whatever. Um, And that was my, that was my thought process. And I had some people that were willing to pay me um, money to do that and all that. And I just never, never made the jump, but that was my, my thought process and what I, what I wanted. People have done it on a lot less. People have done it on a lot more. Like people have hundreds of thousands in the bank before they even start rolling. And especially back in the day when you had to have a TV show, you know, a spot on sportsman's channel for Q3 was 250 grand. Like there's no way you could even do anything without $500,000 in the bank. Um, So yeah, I, I, that would, I mean, the financials always, always play it out. Um, and that was my thought on what I thought I needed. Um, and it's, I think it's just making sure that you yourself are very, um, uh, comfortable and confident in yourself and your abilities. I think that's the biggest thing is, are you confident in yourself? If you're not confident in yourself and the ability to, to sell yourself and your skill set, then stay at your job. Like, yeah. But if you are, I think that goes with anything. I mean, like, it's yeah. like, and, and a lot of that goes into not only just confidence, but like, how much do you love whatever you're doing? Yeah. Um, and, and that, that goes both with like an actual, like, you know, a job where you are an employee of something, or if you're working for yourself, I mean, yeah. like if I loved what I was doing, well, then I have no reason to leave. Mm-hmm. Like if that nine to five works, which the schedule, I could make it work if I, you know, really loved what I was doing and and enjoyed the work and it didn't, you know, have any effect outside of work. But like when you're going to something every single day that you just like you dread waking up in the morning, you get there and all day, it's just this mental like draining of like, man, I wish I was doing something else. Or I wish, you know, I didn't have to work here or get up and come here and blah, blah, blah. And then you get home at the end of the day and you're just like, so you're just so like, I guess just down, like you just start at a yeah. low. And so like anything you want to work on past that, it's just, it's a grind. So, I mean, yep. yeah, I mean, it's just, if you're happy with what you're doing, stay where you're at. Like there's no reason to, to take that risk. But for me, I just, I, I know that I'm, I'm the type of person that I can't put a hundred percent into something unless I actually love that thing or am passionate about that thing or have some, some emotional drive towards that thing. Yeah. Um, and where I was at just wasn't it. And so, yeah, like I said before, it's just at this point in life, I have the opportunity. So let's see where it goes. Definitely not for everybody, yeah. but. 
I agree. Screw up. Like if it's going to be a screw up, it doesn't sound, I, I have, I have a lot of just from talking to you over the last couple of years of following you and everything. I have a lot of confidence in you. I don't think you're going to lose it or anything like that. At the same time, if you're going to screw up, screw up when you're 24, 25, 26, don't try to screw up when you're 52. Yeah. Like, cause you have a lot less time to recover from that. Yeah, right? for sure. And, and you can always go back to working. The other thing yeah, I always yeah. told my wife was, look, like if this sucks, I'll go bartend, you know, three nights a week you know, after the kids go to bed and I, you know, you can bartend and make 150, 200 bucks a night. And if you bartend three nights a week, that's 600 bucks. That's like decent, decent dollars to just keep money coming in, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Um, you know, Mitch, Mitch Neeb, uh, he's not a well-known name or anything like that, but he was the filming photographer for Chris B. Chris B is a well-known <laughs> name on YouTube. And, yeah. and Mitch was on the podcast maybe a year ago or so. Um, and I asked him about like how things were working. And this is like, he, I, I said, so like, I don't know if this was after the podcast or not, if it was included, he said that he was working for Chris for no cost. Like he wasn't charging him anything. Like he was living at home and he was trying to, trying to get into the outdoor industry. And he said, Hey, Chris, I'll work for you for free. I just want, the the experience i want the opportunity to to grow with you and if things work out to the point where i get a lot better you start making some money on this and we eventually grow together and you can pay me that'd be fantastic or at least i'll meet all these other people in the industry through our travels and through our your connections and all that stuff that maybe yeah. someone else will hire me and i can start freelancing and start doing stuff like that well i hit them up like i don't know 8 or 9 months later on a job that I saw come open for freelance photographer for a few different um, outdoor companies. And I sent it to him and he's like, Oh, Hey man, uh, thanks for sending this to me, but I'm full-time full-time with Chris and, I, and I'm making all the money that I need. I appreciate it. And I was like, hell yeah. Good for you, dude. Like you took yeah. that leap of faith, you put the time in and you were, I think he was like 19 or 20 years old where he could take that risk still living at home and all that jazz. And he made it work. Um, and now he's going to be like working for Chris. He's got a name and he's going to be, he's, if he wants to stay in the industry for his entire life, he probably can at this point. Um, and that's that risk. Cause he could have worked for, for, for Chris for nine months or a year and gotten nothing. Yeah. Like, and then walked away totally freaking broke. And his parents were like, yo, you're working at McDonald's tomorrow. You're out of the house. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that could have been the option too, but he's confidence in his skill, confidence in his time. He put the effort in, he worked with Chris. Chris obviously put all the effort in too. They both wanted to make it. They both partnered up and, and now they're a great name in the outdoor industry for a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's a, a, a great success story. And I, and I think a lot of people can, um, uh, can take information from that and, and grow and move in their own path in life and where they want to go. Cause not everything, like, even if it's outside the outdoor industry and you want to get into, I don't like sales, you want to get into, I don't know, engineering, you want to get into something like you, you have to take a risk at some point in order to get there whether it's big or small or whatever, and you got to make that leap. Like you were saying, if it's a job you hate, well then on Saturday and Sunday, look at job postings in your area, like get the hell out of there, find something that you like, at least maybe find something different. 
for a couple of years and figure out that yeah. you don't like that and then try something else. If there's always opportunity out there, you just got to be willing to put in the effort to find it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, yep. With that long rant, um, <laughs> let's talk about the last thing that I wanted to talk about with you today, which is like evaluating your season. So, yeah. um, so you, you, we, we were talking earlier and you had two really close encounters and yeah. couldn't get shots. Like, let's walk through those. Let's walk through both those and let's talk about them a little bit. And let's, let's talk about like what you're going to do or some ideas to do next year to make sure that that goes better for you and Absolutely. works for the deer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I guess the two the two scenarios and, and it's, it's hard. Cause like, like you said, um, I think earlier, just like once, once you have encounters like that with a deer, you want to go back and just, you know, pick apart every bit of the scene. You know, you want to think through everything. Like I, I got one of them on, on film cause I was already set up and in the stand when I had the encounter. The second one, I was not, um, but the, the first one was on film. And so I was just watching that over and over and over and trying to figure out what went wrong and, you know, yeah, like how, what could I have done differently? Um, pretty much on that, that first deer, um, I'd set up right on the top of this ridge that it, it, so trying to kind of lay it out for you. Like there was like a a main path and then off to the left of that path, you had kind of like this, this oak strip that came up the ridge. And then on the other side of the path, it was just cut over probably about a, I'd say three-year-old cut over. Um, and so there was a transition of that cut over to pines that kind of led right into this oak, um, kind of this oak strip along the side of this ridge. And so my thought was, this is the first time I'd sat in this area. I was like, all right, I'll come in here, hang a stand. Um, my thought was that, you know, if a deer was traveling through this is like late November, um, if they're still cruising, might come, you know, along that transition over through that, uh, that coat over up over this ridge and then go down on the other side, which is just this really deep drainage. Um, I know that I'd seen buck sign in that drainage just from scouting here before. It was the first time I found this area. So that was kind of my theory going into it. The wind was amazing. Thermals would have been carrying my scent up over that drainage. So it, in my mind, it just seemed dynamite. Well, first sit, again, I had no cameras in there or anything like that. I, I really didn't have anything to go off of other than just kind of my theory like we talked about I hadn't had a whole lot of time to put into that spot as of yet yes. so I was just going in based off of theory um come about I think it was 8 45 if I remember correctly um this buck I'm guessing was somewhere in the area of about a 140 to 150 um came in just I would say probably 30 30 yards would have been south of where I thought he was going to end up coming in. So he was just behind me, but he was coming laterally. Um, so I'm facing this way. He's coming in back this way. And uh, oh, yeah, for everybody listening, Chris is like, I'm facing forward and the buck is coming in from behind him. Right. Yes. That, that, yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he starts walking in. I heard the crunch of the leaves right as he gets into that little oak strip um, out of the clear cut and turn around and see him. And I'm like, holy crap, that's a huge deer. <laughs> <laughs> so like, 
Um, so I swing the camera arm around. I mean, it was just going to be absolutely picture perfect. He would have been broadsided about 15 yards. I mean, it, it would have been great. But like, as soon as I got my release on the bow, I got the camera on him. He just did like this 90 degree turn and started walking straight towards my stand. I mean, just straight head on right at me and probably got to about 11 yards or so. I couldn't draw back because I like I was completely open to him. He was facing right at me. So I was just waiting for him to go behind this last tree so I could get drawn back. And that tree was probably about eight yards away. But he just I mean, he caught something. I don't know what it was, but his head just like just went straight up right at me and nailed me, gave me about half a second look and tore out of there. I mean, no hesitation. So I don't know what experience he had had recently, but like he didn't win me anything. He just saw so wet, gone. Um, he ended up running about 40, 45 yards away and just sat there and he was in some thick stuff. So there was no shot opportunity, um, but just sat there and was just blowing, trying to catch my scent. Couldn't do it. Did that for about three, four minutes and eventually wandered off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just the trying to figure out what the heck he saw, what was going on. I mean, I, I was in the wide open, but I felt like just looking from the ground where he was standing up at me, I didn't feel like there was a great reason why he would have just pinned me out of nowhere like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, immediately I started questioning, you know, camo, started questioning whether I was backlit, started questioning, you know, was something, was my camera lens just, you know, shining back at him or something like, I don't know, just anything. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, still, even to this point, I really don't have a good, good reason as to why he just went from head down walking to just absolutely pin me out of nowhere. Um, so were you? Can I can I ask some questions about this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so were you uh, like the the you're in this cutover, but there's like some sort of uh, what do I want to say like. I want to call it a tree line, but is that the case? Like a tree line that's yeah, still I would, up? Yeah, I'd say tree line is fair. Yeah. Okay. A tree line that's still up within this cutover that uh, that that it's clear that these deer kind of like to use um, moving through there. What type of trees are are you in? Are they pines or what are you? So the ones I were in would have been oaks. Yeah. Oaks. Okay. Um, so it's oaks across the path. And then the cutover yeah, yeah. was a bunch of oaks as well. And you were in an oak too. The cutover would have been, it was like juvenile pines. Um, okay. So they had they started growing back up. It was like juvenile pines and there was more mature pines, um, which was kind of that hard transition line. Right. Um, those two led to kind of that old path or logging road or whatever you want to right. call it there. And then directly across that path, we noticed how that path, that's where it started transitioning into a mixture of pines and oaks there. Okay. Um, and that would just kind of fade in off that, that region yeah. to the drainage. All right. So then the oak that you're in, is it like, a 20 year old oak or like a 150 year old oak that yeah it was, it's up there it was, it was, okay yeah so it was a good time. big tree big tree um multi, lots of branches around you yeah it was the most cover i had on that tree on that whole okay. strip here. so you had um, okay so you had decent so you had decent cover like in my mind the first thing that i think when you tell me that is like you're in a pine tree that's totally naked and he just picked you like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was naked. a poor choice. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. So you're, you're in an Oak, you got some cover um, and you're set up and, he, and he's coming from behind you. So you literally have, have you the tree and then the deer is, is on the other side of the tree. 
right? Yeah. By the by the time the deer turned 90 degrees to me, he's probably at like five o'clock to me. So just barely to where I can okay. I can swing around to my right gotcha. side and see him. And he would like he would have been walking broadside to me at about five o'clock. And then he turned, started walking right on the tree. Gotcha. Um, how high up were you? I was probably about 13 feet or so. Okay. Which I know a lot of people immediately are going to be like, oh, you weren't high enough. <laughs> I know I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to say that. I had one of the best opportunities this year um, that I have ever had on a good buck, uh, 10 yards. And I was, I could grab the bottom of my stand from yeah. where I had set it up. So Absolutely. like, uh, and I had yeah. bucks come in that night and they didn't even have a clue. So, I mean, I was, you know, eight feet up. Um, yeah. My thing is I'm targeting cover. And I mean, yeah. when I'm on kind of an open hardwood, you know, strip like that, obviously covers the name of the game. Like you got to find something you can kind of blend into. Right. So that was the only spot um, that was close enough to where I felt like I needed to be that had sure. enough, I guess, diversity in branches or just, you know, some old, you know, limbs or whatever that I yeah. felt I could break my outline with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was, Okay. It was only about 13 feet, but like I said, I, I felt like I was about as covered as I could be right there. Yeah. I, I, I would take 13 feet with uh, branches and leaves and cover than 20 feet with nothing. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like, so that's, that's my personal opinion. Other, other people have, you know, other opinions, but I, you know, and, and people will say like, Oh, I got to 25 feet and then you know, they'll tell you that they only have two sticks and they don't use aiders and they don't, you know, use a two stick method or anything like that. It's like, well, okay, well, I doubt you got that high, you yeah, know, it, is there, buddy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like pe people say that all the time and there's always, I, I'll probably get some hate mail on that one, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I like, I, I think like most people will hunt, like most people pack in three to four sticks. Um, and most people, will hunt somewhere from 12 to 20 feet. Like when you're, when yeah. your stands all set and done, like I, and I've measured it a few times. I measure it via my, uh, via my uh, bow rope, right? Like how yeah. long I know how long my bow ropes are. And then I, that's how I measure like how high up I'm at, I am in the tree. So like, yeah. I always have uh, like, I have two bow ropes that are 16 feet that I usually carry with me. So like, I know how high up I am. Cause if I'm 20 feet, I like that the most because then my bow doesn't sit on the ground, right. When I hook it up and hook it in, it's yeah. like dangling there where I, when I'm haunting, you know, 12 feet, I have to set my bow on the ground. It always pisses me off because my cam get in the dirt and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, so like, yeah, I, I, I can certainly understand how high you were. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, those were, those were my main questions. Cause you, you got good cover you have a decent height as long as you weren't moving or swinging your bow or or something like that like the odds of them see, snapping up and seeing you are pretty slim unless for whatever reason he got a whiff of you um, yeah. or he's was shot at yesterday from a similar stand like yeah <laughs> you know a similar a similar area like he just knows and there's no way that's the fun about public land and, and the hate about it is you don't know what happened the day before you have no exactly. idea yeah right so it was but i mean and that that was kind of just it was you know i, I was kind of left in the, with that question or all those questions of you know what happened is there anything i can change it's just one of those things yeah. what kind of thing mm -hmm. um 
so yeah but I mean it's just it's a matter of just moving on so like that first once I had that first encounter I ended up being really busy for you know a week or two after that um still got out a couple times but nothing like super serious it was more just like I've got an hour let's just get out you know do something yes um and so um, a couple weeks go by and then I ended up, um, getting the opportunity to go out with, um, actually some clients of mine, um, go out to a private piece they had. Um, and we pull in there and walk in. He's like, Oh, you can go sit in this preset stand or this preset stand. And I'm looking at the map and I'm like, I really like where this field edge comes into this just absolute mess of pines over here. It's just super, super thick part of the property walking through it is nearly impossible and i was like i just really like that i know there's deer that come out in these fields because they i mean they've got a camera in the field there's just constantly deer in the field and like if they were going to go to bed somewhere out of this field i feel like it's there um or bed somewhere around this field i feel like it's going to be there so he was like all right go hang there so i had my saddle set up with me that day went in there and uh honestly just spent a lot of time trying to pick out a tree um Kind of just, I mean, I was just standing there staring at the trees for a long time. Just want to make sure, I, you know, was set up well. Like I said, it was the first time I'd ever seen it in person. Um, so I just was kind of evaluating everything. Well, I finally decided on my tree and set my bow down, take my sticks off my, my platform and get the first stick in the, on the tree and start to wrap it around it and just immediately just hear all this, you know, commotion coming behind me turn around and there's about a 115 120 inch deer at like eight yards <laughs> i'm like you gotta be kidding me so like i pick my bow off or bow up off the ground and he kind of trots back out to like 12 yards or so but he was like right behind this thicket and he was like bobbing his head and trying to figure out what was going on i just stood yeah. really still well i just stood there with my bow and he starts trotting back through like right where he had just walked because i guess he didn't really know what was going on so I drew back. I was trying to get him to stop because I wasn't going to take a shot on the run. I know some people would, but I just, I just would feel much better if he was still. So I get a nice clean shot on him. Um, ended up like chasing him at full draw into this pine thicket to see if I could just get a little window, and it just never happened. Um, oh man, that's wild. So that was like beginning of December then, um, and so yeah, I mean. It was just one of those things like, oh, I should just got up in the tree and stop being so picky or, you know, whatever. Just one of those time things or really just crap luck. I and mean, it's just yeah. one of those things, but it kind of gets into your head. Um, and so now that it was like the second buck of the season that, you know, was good that I probably would have shot. Um, I was just like, golly, like I just I don't have a lot of time. I've had two encounters of bucks that I would probably shoot. I mean, the def- first one, definitely the second one from the. 10 15 seconds i got to look at him really good probably would have shot him um and so it's like all right well i've you know barely had any time i've had two encounters now i was just like i mean it was just beating on me mentally at that point um so the rest of the season i honestly i just felt like i couldn't do anything right it was it was brutal man um didn't even hunt like the last week of the season um yeah, it was just it was brutal. <laughs> the, the, the the sure way not to succeed is to quit, right? Absolutely. That's the sure that's the surest way not to succeed. Um, so I, I gotta throw that out there. But at the same time, I I feel your pain. Like I don't think like in those scenarios um where you're like trying to figure out figure out the right tree, I I play that 
all the time in my head. Yeah. Like even on, on the private ground that I hunt, we have a hundred acres that I can hunt on private. Um, and then the public ground that I hunt that 6,000 acres that I've hunted for the last six or seven years. Like I will go to the same area that I've hunted all the time. And I will look at the tree that I've sat in four times that I've already decided is the best tree in the area. And I will go, nah, that's not the best tree. What about these other five over here? You know, and I'll yeah. go evaluate them for the sixth time, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and I'll and I'll come yeah. back. And I'll eventually come back to the one that I chose. You know, yada yada yada. But the uh, yeah, I think I think the pro, the pro, you don't you never know what's going to happen in those those yeah, situations sure. and those scenarios. And I think I think it's important. It's very important to uh, set up if if you're planning a three or four hour sit or even more especially if you're planning more, it's really important to pick the right tree because the odds that the deer are going to come through are going to be in that three to four hour window, not the five minutes or 10, 20 minutes that you're setting up your shit. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like that's, that's, that's the, the likelihood there. You're, you're like deer hunting is a game of odds and likelihood and the likelihood that you're going to see a deer over four hours is much greater than you're going to see a deer in, you know, 20 minutes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So I think I, I, I don't think you did anything wrong there. I think it just happened and it just is what it is. Like, yeah. And, that, and that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's not that it's kind of that mental, like beating yourself up after the fact It's like, well, I could have done this, or if I just would have done this. Right. Or, uh, truth of the matter is like for both those hunts, I mean, the first one, maybe there was something that I could change that caught his eye or something. I just don't know where yeah. it is, but like, as far as I can tell, I didn't do anything wrong necessarily. It was just kind of crap luck two times in a row there. Right. And that's, but that's part of deer hunting. Like just because you have an encounter with a good deer doesn't mean that you're, you're guaranteed to shoot them. Um, Yeah. The thing that I, that my buddies and I've learned through elk hunting, that's 100% translated to whitetails is if you're elk hunting, like the guys who are extremely successful at elk hunting and, and kill every year, they're in elk six out of seven days a week. And they're screwing up probably five and a half out of six days a week. Yeah. Like they're in it and they're missing a lot of opportunities, but they're eventually capitalizing on one. There's very few people who go out, have one opportunity and capitalize and it all just ends up perfect for them. And, and that's their only opportunity and they crush it. Um, it's, it's very rarely does that happen. I think that, that more likely than not, especially like, man, last year, uh, a group of my buddies went out there, four guys went out there. They had six opportunities, um, at great bulls and they only ended up walking away with, with a cow and one bull. Um, and they, they, they messed up the other, whatever, five bull scenarios and they had one opportunity to cow and they got that done. But like that, I mean, the, the likelihood that you're going to see 150 inch deer and kill 150 inch deer is, is just not very good. Like, you know, you're going to have to have that opportunity multiple times. And that's why a lot of, a lot of whitetail hunters, um, like they really have multiple good encounters and that's why you hear about it, man. I I've seen this deer for the last three years and I haven't been able to kill him. Yeah. yeah, that's because like you have all these opportunities in front of you 
and you just you they don't connect and eventually they like they connect and you get them in like under 30 yards or whatever you're looking for i think that the biggest point like in in evaluating that is is are you gonna hunt that stand in the first the second one the second one's an odd duck so i'm i'm honestly i'm gonna throw that one out the window because that was just like okay whatever um but the first one are you going to hunt that area again? Are you going to hunt that tree again? You know, are you going to spend some more time in that area? It, you know, those are, those are all questions that I'm actually going to ask you. Like, are you going back there? Did you go back there this year yet? Yeah. I mean, the goal is I did hunt that spot one more time. Um, and really actually two more times, um, didn't get any action at all the rest of the time. Um, I was there, um, it was very, like I said, it was late in November. Um, by that point, our our rut is more or less over with maybe some, yeah. you know, stragglers here and there. Um, and so I didn't really know why that buck was in the area. Like I said, he was kind of cruising. He, he wasn't wasn't like nose down cruising kind of thing, but just kind of trotting around at a comfortable, steady pace. Okay. And so I didn't really, I, I wasn't convinced that he was hanging out there permanently i think it sure. might have been more of a situation of him just cruising along um so i sat there one more time with a buddy um put a couple cameras out didn't get any pictures of him ended up i actually know a guy that um hunts that same area and has cameras up asked him if he had gotten any pictures of him He was like no um and then ended up hunting one more time by myself again nothing um and that last time I hunted there, I just walked around a ton looking for any sort of sign or any, any, any reason to think that he's actually hanging out there for any period of time. And I, I just wasn't convinced. Um, yeah. So I definitely, to, I guess, answer the next question as far as will I go back? Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely want to learn the area more um, and just try to figure out, you know, one, if I can get a picture of him, anywhere around there sweet i mean i don't know he's at least alive um and then if not you know you know why was he using that will another big buck do a similar thing in the future um is there a reason to you know continue hunting that or is it really just it was a one-off thing he was kind of cruising around or, or what the case was so um yeah i do plan to to do more investigating around that area um it just depends but i didn't outside of those other hunts i didn't i didn't spend a ton of time in there no um, unfortunately it was right on a property line so he was heading off the property um so i mean he like i said i, w- I wasn't overly convinced that he was there permanently i think he was sure. using it as a way to get through from one spot to another okay yeah and i think um <clears throat> that in itself is a great evaluate like everything you just told me is a great evaluation of like it like in your brain it wasn't just like oh there was a deer i screwed up the opportunity done like that wasn't the end of the thought the end of the thought is okay let me throw a camera out let me sit there again let me ask this other guy if he has cameras all right so we're right on the property line maybe he's living on this piece of private next door maybe he's coming from a piece of private next on the other side uh maybe he's only coming through here at the end of november when he's searching for does you, these are all evaluation tactics to, to tell you where you want to spend your time, which again, relates back to like ha- having a wife, having a job, having kids, like needing to make yep. money, all that stuff and where you're going to spend your time. Because 
Like this is, it sounds to me like this is a, a travel corridor for cruising bucks from one property to another. And they just happen to pass through this little area. If that's yep. the case, this is not something that you're looking to hunt early season when it's a straight bed to food yeah. pattern or late season when it's a straight bed to food pattern. But if you find some time again in late November next year or in this year in 2022, like maybe you're going to throw a sit or two at it because that's the time. And that's that, that's that evaluation pieces is how, like I had this encounter, why, and how can I try to replicate this again, but make it successful next year? Yeah. That's, that's the big, the big piece. And especially like, um, so that was a late November. It's totally different. If you have, uh, an encounter with, with a great buck in early season, you know, mid-September, late September, early September, early October. That's what I, what I would consider early season. Yeah. Now you're on a bed to food pattern at that point. Right. So, yeah. so you have a lot more consistency. Yeah. In more what that, right. And what that deer is going to do. So if you evaluate that and you're looking at that, you're like, oh man, I had a great, I had a great opportunity on October 3rd last year because this buck was going kind of from he came from this direction and he's headed to that direction which i know is you know a soybean field or an oak flat or whatever and and he just he, you know he walked by at 45 yards and that's out of my range or i never got a shot and he just never came through at the right time like he came in after dark which happens all the time like for a lot of hunters <laughs> right you're, you're like packing up your stuff and you hear him come trotting through you're like all right you know, that evaluation piece, like if that happens, you're too far from the bed, you need to get closer to the bed, or you need yep. to wait for a better weather day to get him up earlier to get him moving sooner. There's so many pieces that come to like that evaluation point that I then this is what I wanted to preface in the in the front end of the, the, the podcast here is, you know, like the time of year, where you encountered this deer, what the weather conditions were, what the wind conditions were, you know, how the encounter happened. Was it the fact that you were, that you didn't pick the right tree? Like, was that the problem? You know, you yeah. were 15 <laughs> yards out of your range, you know, or whatever it is. Um, do you need to move trees next year? Do you need to pick a better wind? Did the deer come from a direction you weren't expecting? You know, there's, there's all these evaluation pieces and, and pieces of criteria that you can use to better your hunt next year in that same area, same time frame, and just hopefully put the, put more of the odds in your favor. That's, that's the part that I wanted to, to, to touch on, you know? Yeah. Do you have any yeah, thoughts to add to that? Yeah, no, I think that that's dead on. Like it's, it's kind of, you know, kind of building block season to season. Um, and I think that is kind of where I'm at over the past, you know, two years since my daughter was born these past two seasons have just been slow building block here, slow building block here and kind of continuing like the same stuff I was doing before, as far as like just getting Intel is just kind of at a slower rate now. Um, but I've had to be much more diligent about, you know, you know, I use Onyx and everybody use it's slightly different app, but like I use Onyx just being more diligent about making sure I'm putting waypoints in there and putting more details as far as yes. what actually happened. What is weather conditions? When did I see them? What time, you know, know all the all the different factors that play into it and really making sure that i'm recording that so next year when i wouldn't have remembered that at all right <laughs> i can yeah. actually you know build on that instead of you know as before it was just you know it was 
a, a week or two process of building blocks. Now it's just, it's from season to season. So um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's definitely a great point for sure. So I, yep. So I run Onyx too. Um, Onyx, when I, when I see a buck, like a shooter that I'm after, um, I will drop the waypoint. I color code it to the time of year. So like early season for me is yellow mid season or, or is like pre-rut. I'd, I'd go blue uh, rut. I go Brown. And then uh, late season, I go red. Like those are, yeah. that's, that's, that's what I pattern because what I want to do when I pull up on X, I want to, I want to look at, I can filter, right. You can filter yeah. uh, waypoints now. So I want to filter for buck sightings in early season. And from that point, I can start looking through where have I seen deer previously. Right. Yeah. And then that way I don't have to play it all mentally. I can just like, Oh yeah. I, I, Oh yeah. I do remember that. And using that note section to punch that in and have that yeah. additional data in front of you, like really is, is very helpful. Um, yeah. cause like sometimes, uh, I will find that I will see deer midweek, like on a Wednesday and I won't see Dick on a Saturday. Like it's, it's just based on pressure and, and how things work. And maybe that's weather, maybe that's time of year, who the hell heck knows. But at the same time, like it gives me that, uh, that, that visual, um, yeah. but also, I would say, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Keep going. I was, I was just going to say, like, you mentioned like the color coding and stuff like that in Onyx, like for the longest time, I was literally just using like, you know, the, the default red pen and then some icon. Like for anybody who has not dove deep into all the different, like the color coatings and all that stuff, you, I mean, you can even take photos and add those to um, your waypoint and stuff like that. Dive deep into that stuff. Cause I mean, it does make a difference. Like even the, even for organization, but then also just for um, like the pictures and stuff, I love being able to look at like rubs or scrapes or anything like that. And I mean, you can differentiate, you know, a, a community scrape versus just like a one-off scrape or something like that and take that, picture so you have that visual year to year yeah um so to, i mean dive deep into that stuff that it can be more than just hey i want to know that there was a track here or something like that i mean it's you can get super detailed with that stuff yeah and especially like the one of the a couple things that that i've that i've learned doing this podcast with a lot of a lot of uh different bow hunters is that the more ground you cover creates the more opportunities that you have to move around which which in turn gives you essentially more options more options are better like yep. you know if, if you all of a sudden if you've been you know you want to hunt this 100 acre piece and it's really only good for you know a northwest or a north wind and you finally get that time frame that you're looking for because you have you've negotiated with your wife you've taken the pto you, you got the kids off to daycare and all of a sudden it's an east wind and you're like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Now? <laughs> like that is right now. Now you're kind of SOL. And, and maybe for me, that's a vacuuming and cleaning day. Like I talked about earlier, but otherwise, like I would love to be able to hunt that. And what I do at that point is I also color code uh, like my standway points based on, on time of year. And then I put notes on what wind that's wind direction. for. Yep right? Because then I can start filtering that out as well. And, and, and especially scrapes, I have community scrapes, a different color than regular scrapes. Cause I'm always wanting to target those community scrapes first. Cause yeah, I yeah. think they're, they're just, they're, they're, there's a higher percentage that you're going to find a deer there. Um, and they're a lot harder to come by. So like, you know, 
I have like five or six community scrape pins, whereas I have, you know, 37 or whatever regular scrape pins. Um, yeah. So it just, it, it helps me filter all that information a lot faster. And this isn't like a huge promo for Onyx. You can do this pretty much on any, yeah, uh, any. Uh, app, but I, yeah, obviously we both use, use Onyx. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point um, that you bring up is, is getting those pins and getting everything documented so that you can revisit that and you don't have to recall it all from memory because nine years down the road, are you really going to remember what you saw in 2020? I, I don't, I don't, Negative. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and that's how, that's how like those, those stands that you always see on like old properties, like the meat eater did the fucked up old deer stand stuff and yeah. all that. Like, that's how you see like, Oh yeah, I killed that. I killed a buck out of that. Well, what was it now? 17 years ago. I haven't killed one since like, that's not a very good track record. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I probably don't want to sit there but certain encounters play in your head um, a, a yep. lot more than others. Um, all right. Well, no, we're going on an, an hour and a half here. I, I promised you we'd stop at an hour, but uh, here we are <laughs> an hour and a half in. Um, was there anything else you wanted to, to add to the, to evaluating or time management or anything like that? Mm, nothing right off. Um, I would just say like, I guess just kind of following up what I said earlier about, you know, towards the end of the season, just getting discouraged. Like one thing I really want to focus on this year is just keeping at the grind regardless of what's yeah. going on. I found myself kind of overvaluating everything I was doing um, after those two deer. And like, mm-hmm. really, it's just, you know, hunt relaxed, enjoy it. Remember why you're out there um, and just keep going. I mean, missed opportunities aren't the end of the world. It's just the end of that particular day's hunt sometimes. So yeah, <laughs> move on, keep going. And yep. this year, I definitely want to be better at that and just, yeah, even, even when we are in the lows, get right back out. I actually had a buddy that he uh, missed a deer, was super down about it, took a day or two, got right back out there and killed a deer, you know, a couple of days later. So I was like, yeah, making me look bad, dude. But <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll no, say definitely stay after it. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. You have to, you have to keep after it and you have to keep going. Cause again, the only way, sure. The only sure way to fail is to quit. Um, yeah. the, uh, the other thing is, is I did have a podcast with Aaron Warbritton, like early, really pretty early season. And one of the things he said was like, and Aaron Warbritton hunts, uh, whatever, a hundred days a year or something like, you know, 80 days a year. Like he puts a lot of time in. <laughs> And his, uh, yeah, from the hunting public, if you don't know him. And he was like, just stop overthinking everything. Like go in, hunt. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Move on, go to the next set. Maybe reset that same area, but move your, like adjust your conditions, adjust your location. You know, like the, the big thing is to stop, stop overthinking things and go out, hunt, have a good time. Remember what you're after there for and believe in yourself, like believe in your confidence. Um, and if, if it doesn't happen, like, like, you know, your second sit, like you put a lot of effort into picking out what tree to get into based on where you thought the deer were going to bed, where you thought they were headed, what trails you could find in the area, what cover you could find in those trees, your shot distance that you were looking for, put a lot of thought into that. And, and you picked a tree and then a deer comes out of nowhere from behind you, like totally random. 
Like that's not something that, that you can really predict. It's like, you know, at that point, it's if you got into that tree and two hours later, the deer came through, but they were all 60 yards rather than, you know, 22. Okay. Well, there you go. Let's reevaluate and let's move that tree. I picked the wrong tree, you know, but, but just some random deer running through behind you. That's not necessarily a pattern or anything like that, that you can control. Right. So it is what it is. You know, hopefully he does it again tomorrow and I will be here and I will be ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, Chris, um, say again, your, your, if be, if you want people to find you, if they, if they want to get a, a hunt filmed by you or anything like that, they want to check you out, check out your work, um, yeah. drop your credentials, do a promo for yourself. Let's, let's see how good of a salesman you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Instagram handles at trail red. Um, Facebook is also just trail red. Um, so yeah, definitely check me out on uh, Instagram and Facebook. I will have a website up here soon with uh, more portfolio work and whatnot. Um, but, uh, right now Facebook's the place, or I'm sorry, Instagram's the place I'm most active and I kind of fold over into to Facebook a little bit. So, uh, definitely give me a follow. we got a lot coming up here, a lot of shoots, a lot of, uh, a lot of projects. So just, uh, keep checking us out on there. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Fantastic. And it's, and I will put that in the show notes as well. Um, I'll just scroll down on your podcast app, whatever you got, you'll find the at symbol there and I'll hyperlink that in and you guys should be good to go. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate the time tonight. Um, taking the time from the family and everything to talk. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review. Please subscribe. Please give me a rating. Uh, hopefully five stars. Then you can just give me a trash review uh, in the actual notes. That's totally fine. As long as I get the five stars, I appreciate that. Um, and uh, look forward to catching up next time. And if you, oh, the last thing, if you guys do have any podcast topics that you would like covered, things that I have missed, things that have not crossed my mind, um, please, you know, send me a, a, a DM on Instagram, send me a message on Facebook, or hit me up in my email, which is hellera90 at gmail. Again, hellera90 at gmail.com. Hit me up on that. Um and just let me know because I'm, I'm happy to, you know, this is kind of the off season we're finding. I'm getting a lot of awesome people on like, like Chris and others that are, that I haven't talked to all season. And we're talking about different things. Um, and I know a lot of people are just running through like Turkey podcast, scouting podcast, um, shed hunting podcast, and those are all great. But if you have something other than that, you know, I would, I would gladly, uh, take a listen and, and find some people to talk about. Maybe, maybe we should do some on coyote hunting. Maybe we should do some on squirrel hunting. I don't know. Um, like to just listen to, to what you guys have to offer. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Appreciate the time. Catch you next time.